Jorge Martin tried and failed. In the end, we're going back to Bagnaia. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Like Icarus, Jorge flew just a little bit too close to the sun, or in this case, the aero wake of a very, very fast Ducati. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 488 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. Glad you could join us for the final MotoGP episode of 2023. Um, thanks for joining us as ever. I've been really excited to sit down and record this one for the last few days because not only did we actually get a thrilling finale in the end and a, f- a thrilling title decider between Banyaya and Martin in the hashtag all or nothing showdown uh, in the end, we also had a heap of outside news alongside all of that as well to get to in the next hour or so. I've got a feeling this could be the longest MotoGP episode we ever record on here. So I am gassed to get stuck into the meat and potatoes on this one. But first, let's go around the horn. A shout out as well and hi to our Jay O'Connell, how's it going, sir? I'm going to bite a line that you're fond of using, and I know it's because it's from uh, from back when Bamadi Jones was still making videos for what is now Sacred Base. Mm. Congratulations to Jorge Martin, Marco Bazzecchi, and Francesco Bagnaia. They made the table and did the dishes. And then Mark Marquez hopped on a Ducati. <laughs> and look at how much fun he's having. My goodness. <laughs> None of our three smiles are as big as Mark's when he got off the bike. No, no, like you're like this. It's you ever like, do you ever see the most perfect shot in a movie where it's just like you, you go and you remember it for that one shot alone? The first time Mark Marquez turns around in his Grassini levers, uh, his Crucci Frankie Kachecki, and, and he and the, the, the shit eating grin on the man's face was legendary. It was beautiful. Like, it's just like, like that it's is like, a yeah. Mitt Romney level shit eating grin. <laughs> that was after seven laps on a Ducati, which is um, wild to say this. We'll get into a lot of that as the show goes on. As you probably also also heard, uh, Cam Buckley is also here. And Cam, what do you make of this set list? Because this is a whopper. <laughs> um, Yeah, burn, burning the midnight oil on this one. I mean, I woke up. Uh, we were going to record this yesterday, and then my brain decided, no, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I woke up this morning, wrote some stuff in there, threw some pictures in there, and uh, I want to say is, once again, I am free to smite the world as I did in days long past. <laughs> very much so, very much so. It, it certainly feels that way after after Tuesday's Valencia test, which will be at the back end of this show. So to, to give you a, a basic rundown of this enormous edition of the MotoGP uh, side of the podcast, uh, we have Jorge Martin versus Francesco Bagnaia, the decider, and how Martin, God bless him, he tried. He uh, just couldn't quite get there in the end um, as uh, Francesco Bagnaia would win his second MotoGP World Championship. The first back-to-back title winner since Mark Marquez in 2019. The first person to defend the number one plate since Mick Doohan in 1998. So uh, the curse is over. The curse of the number one plate title defense is also dead. (laughs) Who'd have thought it? Um, All it took was contractual obligations to run the number one. Hey, who knew? Um, so all of that will be broken down, of course, at the top of the show. We'll, we will have uh, a, the explosion of what's been kind of a brewing story for a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months, um, as the Crypto RNF team deals with a very bad case of what I like to call the uh, 
funny money, um, so to speak, um, and how that's all played out. Um, as uh, yeah, I'm not joking. A NASCAR team might be about to own a MotoGP team. Yeah, we'll, we're we'll, going we'll, worldwide. We're going worldwide, um, as, a, as a certain uh, bold musician might say. Um, more on that in a little bit as well. Uh, they slipped this in on Monday as well. MotoGP's new new concession system. I was about to say concussion system. I wish, I wish that was a thing, but uh, we, we have to settle for concessions. Uh, um, yeah, we're never getting one of those. <laughs> but uh, we'll, settle for the, we'll settle for the concessions. They, they've, they've changed the system on that, and I will go full Dr. Dre. That's the one time you're ever allowed to call me that, by the way, um, on breaking down how that works um, and why I actually quite like it. You'll, you'll see what I mean when we get to that point. Um, and as well, we'll talk about the Valencia test and some late thoughts on that as well, because yes, Mark Marquez was on a Ducati for the first time and uh, we think he liked it. That's a terrifying thought for everybody involved. Um, so all of that in the next hour and change or so. But first, the places you can find us, we are on Twitter at uh, Motorsport underscore 101 or on Instagram at Motorsport 101 pod. For the follow our personal handles, you can at Dre underscore WTF1 uh, at RJ O'Connell and, and C Buckley 917. You can find all of those details on our website, motorsport101.com, including the blog section if you want some extra thoughts from yours truly um, on everything that happened in the final weekend of the mainline motorsport season. That's obviously this weekend and Formula One in Abu Dhabi. Yes, I had to talk about Formula One in Abu Dhabi. Somebody had to. Um, that's all there on the blog section. Also, I'm very proud of that MotoGP race review because it's it's the biggest one I've written all year. It was I, I almost split this bad boy in three. That's because of how much there was to talk about. Split it up into multiples. I know. I I, 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 I should really spread the love more often, but I, I like running diaries. They're more fun. I, I just feel like, yeah. If you have a running life. diary, you could just have them multiple articles and break them up. I'm, I'm sorry. I do not mean to question your creative process. I just know this was a lot of work for you, pal. <laughs> man, man had a full, man had vapor chambers on his keys. Oh, you, you have no idea. You can't see it. There are flames coming off this thing as we speak. Like I was a busy man. Like, like Never have I been so grateful for MacBook keyboards. They're beautiful things to type on, I must say. Um, they, are, they, they are wonderful. I miss I, mine. I, I miss it so much. I'll have, going, I should have it back next week. I'm going to miss mine too. But uh, yes, like... I might split up the format a bit more in 2024, because just to spread the love a little bit more. But it's it's it's, it's my. F- I love that the journalism in RJ kicked in there, and, I, and 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 rightly so. It, it should do, and I and I appreciate that. Um, so all of that on the blog section, of course. There'll be season review content coming up there in the next couple of weeks as well. A lot more typing, a lot more Back to the Future style keyboard moments. Um, at a time, baby. Um, and of course, if you're really lucky, you can back us financially on Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five bucks get you early access to all of our uh, episodes before they go live to the public you can upgrade to the ten dollar tier if you want to get into the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded big shout outs to jason and kiara who are listening in right now and it's also both their birthdays today as well they, yeah. they are birthday twins yeah. oh tanja birthday yeah, they are they are birthday twins. I love that for them. So happy birthday to the pair of them, and especially Kerry, who's at the big three zero today. 
it's it's, it's an esteemed club we, we all get better with age apart from me um but we we, we, do, we try um so happy birthday to them thanks for listening as always um so you know we love that for them all of those details like i said on our website motorsport101.com I can breathe now. Right. After this quick break, we'll be back to talk about the season decider, the title decider, the all or nothing showdown, the MotoGP Grand Prix of Valencia. Paco Bagnaia is your 2023 MotoGP world champion, and he does it in some style. He takes the victory in a Valencia Grand Prix, which was one of the best of the season. What a season for Ducati and for Paco Bagnaia. And indeed... It was nothing for Jorge Martin and all for Francesco Bagnaia. Though not at first, Martin did win the final sprint of the season, his seventh sprint win in the last eight rounds to reduce the gap in the championship to 14 points after Bagnaia could only manage fifth in the sprint. And so the stage is set for the Valencia Grand Prix, the final showdown, and after a grid penalty for the original pole sitter, Maverick Vinales, for not respecting the meatball and warm-ups, the Grand Prix began. Martin went all out for the lead after quickly moving to second on the opening lap, but he outbroke himself and dropped to fifth, and a lap later, he overcooked it again, clattered into Marc Marquez, and both their races and the championship. Francesco Bagnai would hold off Fabio Antonio for second for the win, DJ Antonio would later drop to fourth via his second tire pressure penalty, and Jorhan Zarco finished third, but it was Bagnaia winning the race and going back-to-back for the first time since Marc Marquez in 2019. What did you make of the final showdown? I think it kind of, for me at least, it summed up both riders' respective seasons. Francesco Bagnaia was methodical. He was tactical. He picked his spots as well as he could pick them. Um, it's it's ironic. I, I mentioned this to Cam earlier on in the season. Banyaya's biggest strength at the first half of the season when he was blowing rounds and crashing and it was taken out of Le Mans, the sprint race was his banker. He was using that to lean up the majority of his points. But as the year went on, it became a massive strength for Jorge Martin. He won nine sprint races this season, seven out of the last eight, as we mentioned earlier. And that became his biggest weakness for Banya. He was, but the, I think what a, lot, what a lot of people missed about that was that Banya was using the sprint to set himself up for Grand Prix better. And it worked out in the end because the man won seven Grand Prix this year, just like he did last year. And Banya was smart. He had, the, he had the 21 point cushion. He could afford to effectively blow the sprint and still have a reasonable gap. And it worked out in the end. And Martin, for me, was the opposite of that. He was the guy with the primal, raw, savage speed, um, and and he 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 only was able to harness that. He was unstoppable. He was winning Grand Prix. He was winning sprints. He was qualifying on pole position. He was fast enough where even us in this chat were starting to wonder if he could actually pull this off. And he very nearly did. I think he could have done it if, if, if the timeline worked out a bit differently. But him going, like, he, I, I think the last two or three rounds, I think he lost his head a little bit. And this is a mental game to a degree. And I think over the course of the back end of the year, once the pressure, you know, ratcheted up a bit, I think, I think he started to tail off a little bit. And I think that's, ultimately what costed the title i mean what do you make of it all cam 
Um, really, I, I can't add a whole lot to that because that is pretty much how it played out. Um, after Qatar and what happened there, whether his tire was defective or not, Michelin didn't find anything wrong with it thus far, but they are doing further analysis of it as we speak. It was always a tall order. But I think once he started to talk about being in title contention, I think he started to fold a bit under the pressure. And um, in a game where cooler heads were going to prevail, Pecco was going to win that battle 10 out of 10 times versus Martin, because as you said, Martin is basically all just speed and vibes, all <laughs> raw pace. Um, and he had that this weekend. But then he put in a fairly substandard lap in qualifying by his own standards. Mm. Um, wrote a he great fought. sprint and then was just really messy in the race. It started great in the first couple of corners. You know, it yeah, did. He got the whole shot. He got a great uh, run down to turn one, Got went from P5 to P2. Um, but then started lunging. He started lunging Pecco and... He got caught in the classic dirty air wake and had to pick between going wide or tucking the front. He picked to go wide, and then the red mist descended from there. Yeah, I mean, we all know the big moment where it was pretty much all lost. It was, it was Martin. He had, he had the momentum. He had the slipstream coming down Valencia's front straight, which is it's actually a bit longer than people think it is, that front straight of Valencia. You know, he's you're hovering around 205, which again is, is, is a testament to how fast these bikes are nowadays. 205 miles an hour into that braking zone for turn one. And we've seen it so many times in the last year and a half getting caught in the rear of another bike's aero wash when hitting the brakes. And when that happens, you've got two options. You either let off the brake, which can sometimes actually speed you up with the amount of downforce these bikes are now generating. Or you lock your front and hope for the best. And uh, Martin had to take the former option. And next, well, we know what happens when a Ducati locks the front, death taxes, and all that. Yeah, Um, but it it, doesn't even matter most of the time because that's the best mic of the field by a mile and a stretch. (laughs) Yeah, but still not perfect. Um, Not in that respect. And really, yeah, I mean, he went down the field, and then. He passed a couple bikes and you could tell what the way he was racing that he was going to he was, was going to catch back up or crash trying. He crashed trying. He speared Mark Marquez <laughs> like Roman Reigns. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's no getting around. I mean, look, at that point, like people have been very critical of Martin and look, Mark Marquez in his re- you may have seen this on Sunday. Uh, Martin did go over to Repsol Honda and apologized to to Marquez for the incident, and Marquez completely understood. You're like that that is a man he knows who knows just as yeah. look. He's the guy who lost the front flying off into turn one a few years ago to trying to win a title. Yeah, um, he, he knows more than so anyone what it's it. like to. Yeah, he, he. No one knows risk perception more or less than Mark Marquez does, uh, and Marquez understandably completely got it. He was just like, um, it, it's. I loved it in that chat. They all went. It was more like a Goldberg spear and jackhammer combination. It's like, yeah, you're probably right. Um, Zale on that. You, one. Just, you just pepper in like a few of those. We both played Here Comes the Pain, WWE mm-hmm. SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain. That one Goldberg move where it's just like, 
you're kicking him, but he's countering it and then picks up and slams you down on the ground, peppering a few of those two. Yeah, 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 just 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 made sure. Like I said, Marquez understood completely. He knew what it's like to compete for a championship. Um, but yeah, um, it's 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 wild, and and I, I love that a uh, the 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 point and a certain someone in our chats pointed this out. Martin was only one point eight seconds off the lead when he crashed. This wasn't panic stations when that crash happened. The second crash that ended his championship. Of course, you've got to rely on Banyaya for help, of course, because that's what the maths were, with a 14-point swing. But he didn't have to go all out at that point to win. I understand why he did. He probably panicked, given the mistake that he had made that had put him down the order. But this wasn't an unassailable gap. We'd seen Martin have bigger winning margins earlier on in the season was when he's dialed in we said it before he's unstoppable his his raw pace is incredibly hard to match when he's in optimal conditions and it was it was probably that panic that's cost him the championship or at least a shot at it at the end i just think he might have just thought like you know it's one thing to be fast with valencia it's another thing to try and pass people around this track and, it's it hard. was hard to it was hard to pass people here when there was no arrow on the bikes um yeah. let alone now but yeah it just feels like it, 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 the thing is he didn't lose this title in one race i mean no. down the stretch indonesia feels like the uh was it indonesia yes it was indonesia was where he free just sec- he sec- had the field dead to rights and he just he just tucked the front um, after going wide earlier in the lap. Um, that's a big one. But I mean, a tale of two halves for both both riders, really, mm. because Martin came on really strong in the second half, but more in the sprints, whereas Banyaya was messy early on and the sprints propped him up. And then he was much stronger in full race trim compared to sprints in the second half. It's all they look like I mean, two completely different riders depending on what part of the season you look at. It's it's easy to forget that the man at one point had a sixty set a sixty two point lead in this championship, Banya. He probably should have walked away with this a couple of rounds early. And the obviously the Catalonia high side and, and the very bad near miss that he had that day, you know, you know, could have I think that probably forced Banyaya to ride within himself a little bit more and actually mitigate some of that risk that he'd been taking earlier on in the year because he he was so well measured, besides India, where he crashed that day. But besides that, that and I think the fact he lost a little bit of confidence in his breaking in the back half of the year actually probably made him ride within himself a little bit more. And it actually made him slightly more disciplined as a rider, because he didn't make those big mistakes down the stretch. Maybe he wasn't winning everything, but he didn't give Martin an awful lot of breathing room to work with. Well, he was winning. He was winning the event that pays more points, which yeah. is the smart way to go about it. Um, because you can you can try and max out all the points all of the time. At the end of the day, the full race pays more than the sprint. You focus on the full race, yeah. um, and that was where Martin was weak down the stretch, and Banyaya was practically unassailable. 
Yeah, it's we'll talk about Martin's season a little bit more in our season review in a couple of weeks' time. But I think it's 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 hard not to pencil Indonesia and Philip Island and that back-to-back weekend stretch is probably where the title was lost for Martin more than anything else. Yes, Valencia was rough, but he probably doesn't have to take as many risks going into Valencia if he picked up an extra 40 or, 40 or so points, which is probably what he lost in Indonesia and Philip Island. Um, well, well, I mean, look, in Indonesia, if he holds that... It's a 30-point swing. It's a 30-point swing. That's the title. It's right yeah. then and there. Yeah. Um, and you can't... I mean, we've been extra critical on the show over the last few years of Banyaya being this rider with extraordinary upside. But he kept throwing the bike up the road. That's how his career started in the top flight. He, he almost That's, lost he his won, job. He, he when won it was his a championship last year throwing the bike up the road but when he wasn't he was finishing first and second yeah um seven you know, wins seven wins five dnfs last year most dnfs forever any title winner ever mm. um but in riding within himself just taking the points and in this case is uh, on current form there was one person who could beat you on raw pace well he was throwing the bike up the road yeah, it's it's it, uh, it's, it's, it's held his head in the clutch. Yeah, and cool heads often prevail. I mean, look, we saw Martin earlier on in that same weekend try to wind Banyaya up by following him in practice and qualifying. It was it was he openly admitted as such that it was mind games, um, you know, trying to intimidate him. And Banyaya, when interviewed about it, was just like, "I thought it was fun." <laughs> like the man doesn't care, well, and, and that's just it. Is like once Martin start started talking at length about being in title contention. From that point forward, he was very messy. Mm. And Benyaya just kept rolling. I think his eyes got a bit too big in the end. And look, this is none of this is to be massively critical on Jorge Martin. This is a rider that has taken an enormous step forward as a rider this, this first year. First title fight. You know, yeah. it's... Yeah, it's... It, it, this is a guy that was a a guy that we looked at as maybe slightly lost potential, um, as in someone who can win a Grand Prix, did win the occasional Grand Prix, did get the occasional pole position. But we were always sitting there and well, why can't he do this week in, week out? This was the first year that proved he can do this week in, week out. He can be a threat. And yes, he made mistakes. And yes, it, it wasn't quite to, to be on this one. But this is a guy that was and also ran into the best fret Banyaya has ever had for, for a championship. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a wonderful effort that he's made all year. And he was the biggest reason why this season was so interesting and why it went to the final round in the first place. And that take, and that deserves enormous praise. Um, he, 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 did a, he did a brilliant job all year long, and he deserves a, a lot of... Like, I'm glad that the Ducati guys all came over and they gave him a stand innovation and appreciated just how much of an effort he put in. Because it was. It was deserved. And he, he was the only reason why this season was interesting down the stretch, really. Mm. Absolutely. Um, you know, when we'll talk about that a little bit more, um, you know, in the in the in the coming weeks. But uh, before that, we before we move on to like the next mm. bit, can I can I show you something that came across my timeline and I thought would be sure. a very nice way to put a bow on it? Mm. This photo here from 2014, and I know it's bad. Yes. Uh, that I is the seamless. 
This is the VR46. This is the first Sky Racing Team VR46. So this is the first iteration of VR46 and MotoGP. Francesco Bagnaia was on that team. So was Romano Fanati. That year, Fanati finished <laughs> fifth and won four times. Bagnaia finished 16th in points after a terrible slump and was kicked down to Mahindra. And now, nearly a decade later, Fanati is leaving Moto3 out the back door on the same day that Francesco Bagnaia became back-to-back champion. He's, he's, it's funny he's, how these things work out. It is funny how these things work out. And it's worth pointing out as well, because a lot of this was in the preview footage for the weekend as well. You forget these two men were teammates. They were teammates at Mahindra. And, you know, they, they openly admit they were never the best of friends. But they they kind of knew that they had a bit of a bond, and they both kind of knew that the other one was going to be very very fast one day. And it's you you forget that only God, I want to say it was twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. They both won a world title on the same day. Bagnaia won his Moto Two title the same day Jorge Martin won his Moto Three title. 2018 thanks for reminding me in the chat um you know that was the same the same day they both won a world title um and yeah that was martin's moto 3 title banyaya's moto 2 title and who would who would have thought five years later that the pair of them would be competing for a moto gp world the only two protagonists really long term in a moto gp championship fight it's amazing how these things turn out and uh um, I don't normally praise TNT Sports um, on this show. I've been very critical of them over the years. But going back a week or so ago to, to Qatar, it was very cool how Susie Perry was able to get the two of them on a couch just talking about the title fight casually as friends. No bad blood, no malice, just cool vibes and just honest and, and open dialogue. It was refreshing for a title fight to go down the way that it did. And I love the fact that Martin after the race was over, left the garage, went to Park Fermi, was one of the first people to congratulate Peko on the title win. It was a, it was a, it was a great fight, and um, oh. a, a, it was a fascinating fight. Two very different riders, two very different riding styles and, man, and mentalities. And as any boxing fan will tell you, styles make fights. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a, a great fight. <laughs> and, and just think, going down early probably saved Davide Tardozzi's life because his heart rate would have been in the thousands. <laughs> wow. Oh, brother. That, I, oh, whoever, poor guy. Whoever, whoever was in Dorna's camp that had the idea to put heart rate monitors on Davide Tardozzi and Gino Borsoi, Pramax team boss, genius. Mwah, chef's kiss. Because I don't think Davide Tardozzi's heart rate was ever lower than 120. It was fantastic <laughs> all the way through. It made for great entertainment seeing that on TV because we have a nickname for it on our Discord server. We call it Insane Davide Tardozzi Bullshit. Because um, we love There that is man. multiple <laughs> gifts of this man <laughs> expressing himself or collapsing on the ground in disgust. The, the, the collapsing after the Banyaya crash at Kota earlier this season is still my personal favorite. It's 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 straight out of a sitcom. It's wonderful. <laughs> so um, we, we we call it insane Davide Tardozzi bullshit on this show, and uh, it never like we love Davide on this show. He's one of the true characters on this one. I got to meet him at Silverstone. He's a delightful man. Um, you know, incredibly polite and, and honest with his time. I, I very much enjoyed my time with him. Um, and uh, yes, um, he is uh, very very. Very funny, um, and yeah, that was that was great stuff, great content, and a, a great title fight all season long between them. And and you know, Premac has something to smile about. The first independent teams champion. Yes, first yeah. ever. 
yeah, the first time wow. an independent team has ever won the team's title, I believe. Um, yeah, and yeah, so Pramac were two thirds of the way to the Triple Crown of all things. It's again amazing how these things turn out. They That's very nearly got it. Amazing that before Jorge Martin rolled up, this team hadn't even won a race in MotoGP. And now their team has won five Grand Prix this season. Zarco getting the other one in Australia as well. So yeah, they had five wins on the year. Um, yeah. yeah, great That's stuff. Also, uh, also kind of shows. I mean, again, Bastianini having his season ended basically after two sectors. Yeah, brutal. Uh, to start the year, um, and Premac took full advantage of that because uh, both of them showed up just enough. Just enough, indeed. And in a year where a lot of people were not showing up for the full season, that counts for something. Yeah, mm-hmm. because uh, it was we officially had no full MotoGP grid this year. Uh-huh. No, no. And uh, also, uh, to, to sum up the craziness, no repeat winner in the MotoGP flight this year. First time since 1949 <laughs> that no one won two races in a row. I, again, um, I, I just, again... I know big reason why. How is it that we've had this much competitive parity in a season that we all agree was just kind of not as good as ones that we've seen before? Mm. Well, uh, when you give eight people the best bike on planet Earth, and most of them are pretty good. Yeah. Even the man on the bottom rung was hotter than fish grease at the end of the season, and it, so much so it actually saved his career. That's in the right. Top we were wrong. We were wrong about something, and we were right, and we were glad that we're wrong about something because Fabio Di Antonio is staying. He got the last seat at VR Forty Six. Luca Marini officially confirmed at Repsol Honda. Yeah, officially sipping from that poison chalice. Yes, the 2024 grid is finally complete. Uh, we got confirmation of that on the Monday, the day before the test. Uh, and yes, DGR gets uh, the VR46 gig. Um, beats, yeah, he beat out a couple of other names in the pot, like Celestino Vietti and Fermin Albergare to get that seat. And Luca Marini confirmed the Repsol Honda as well. He's confirmed there on a two-year deal, which actually puts him off sequence, which is quite interesting in terms of rider contracts. Because there's a lot of big names available next year. Marini's confirmed in... Um, uh, Marini's confirmed that uh, he'll be there through 2025. So that's going to be interesting. Also, I've got in the chat, apparently VR46 were priced out of Fermin Aldegar. I think they, uh, I think they went full the wire with it. It's like, I think the bosses there at a speed up were like, price of the brick just went up. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, speed, we're not going to mention Moto too much on this show, but uh, Aldegar, hotter than the surface of the sun. Mm. to finish this season. Four wins in a row to close out the year. I know it's recency bias, but title favor for 24? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. He's probably favorite going into next season. If Speed Up can keep this this sort of form of their chassis, if if they found something with this that's consistent for next year, he's going to be very, very hard to beat because Aldeguer, no one could touch him the back end of the year. Um, incredible, incredible form. Uh, we've always known this guy's got the raw talent, but uh, to be able to put together four <laughs> wins in a row in Moto2, one of the toughest classes uh, to win um, in, in any form of motorsport, very, very impressive indeed. Keep an eye on that for 2024. Oh, All right, enough boy. of the good stuff. Oh, let's, dig, let's dig into... Do, do you want me to just read this verbatim as you've written it, Dre? Because, like, this is a lot. 
There is so, a lot here yeah, to get through. Try <laughs> there, go for is, it. there is a huge climax to the ongoing story of the Crypto Data RNF team, formerly the Patronus Sentium team, as Dorna on Monday decided to revoke their grid slots at all levels of MotoGP competition, essentially booting them out of the championship. For those on a rare, team principal Razlan Razali was ousted last month despite still owning 40% of the team by crypto data for what they cited as poor management and financial decisions, with rumors <laughs> swirling that many staff members haven't been paid for weeks. With rumors high that crypto data are bankrupt, they, and specifically CEO of Video Toma, called this called the stories fake news and released a bold statement threatening to sue Dorna on competition grounds and even blackmail. And while all this has happened, uh, Dre's colleagues at the race have reported, has now been picked up by multiple outlets, that I want to make sure I read this right, that NASCAR outfit Trackhouse Racing and its principal owner, Justin Marks, are set to buy the remains of the team. Currently, as it stands, uh, MotoGP said there will be a new Aprilia independent racing team. That is how they are listed on the entry list that was published mm -hmm. just a couple of days ago. Trey, how do we wrap our heads around this shit? Oh, sweet um, Jesus. I, I need to point out that since I wrote that out a couple of days ago, it's now since been reported in Speed Week that uh, CryptoData has had, um, quote, clear the air talks um with dawner since then which i think is quite funny um the, the case they were so adamant about they decided to immediately walk back <laughs> now most strong-willed crypto company owner moment um first of all as someone quite correctly put in our chat anytime your press conference involves the fake news statement crimson flag Oh yeah, it's instantaneous. It's, there's so many red flags that should run for the Chinese. Like, like that's how many red flags there are here. Like, holy uh, hell! Second of all, amazing that they were they were loading their guns, ready to go with war to war with Dorna in court about this. And a day later, they back right the hell down. Oh yeah. Since this morning, actually, because I wrote the part of the set list this morning, and then later this morning, as of uh, November 29th. They backed out of it. Um, yes. Oh, sweet Jesus. Uh, this is what happens when you take the funny money. Mm. It's it, it's sad. I mean, look, I like Razan Rosali. I always have. I, th I think he's one of the more outspoken and sincere team bosses in the sport. He's, he runs a very good team. I met many of them at Silverstone. They're, they're all very, very nice people. Um, he used to run a great team. Yeah, you know, and look, I've mentioned this before. One of the best teams in MotoGP only three years ago. You know, they they, they 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 won six Grand Prix that year in 2020. You know, they they they, they, they very possibly with better consistency could have won two the title. Absolutely, like you said that about a few people in 2020. Mm. And um, I mean, they brought Fabio Quartararo into the sport. Yeah, yeah, they they rolled the dice on him, and it, and it worked out beautifully. Briefly, no, I was going to say like this is this is a great team on paper and i i hate that raslan gave it the big one many many times talking about how 
teams have got to think outside of the box to get sponsorship because I know it's been a big talking point in MotoGP that the top teams have struggled to get sponsors into the oh, yeah. sport in recent times. Especially and after COVID. Then, especially post-COVID, of course, because um, money isn't flying around as much as it used to. And then, of course, he goes and sell. he sells a controlling stake in his team to a crypto bro. And I'm just like, no, no, no. Yeah, oh, that's, that's always the risk because it's like it is, mm. it is especially post COVID. That's like that seemed to be like the cheapest way to make a boatload of money. But and even I, before I mean, the latest crypto boom, people will tell you this is extremely high risk to bet the house on crypto. I mean, look, like how many how many crypto bro sponsors did we show, we see fly out of the woodwork going into Formula 1 mm. last year and now and now but and a bunch but, of them are already gone. Yeah, Binance right now, I think announced today as we're recording this today, I think they're about to file for bankruptcy. And that's Alpine's partner. <laughs> uh, remember those logos that were on the Mercedes wings in Miami last year? <clears throat> which, 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 who? Um, FTX was that, was that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, Sam Bankman fraud uh, is now... Commit, uh, committing he, Omega God. fraud. Omega <laughs> fraud. Um, so bad. And, for, yeah. so just a slight tangent. Sam Brankman Free mm. made it to Forbes's top 10 people we wish we didn't include on our 30 under 30 lists. <laughs> <laughs> you made the list of, of lists we regret. Dude. Yes, that's never a good uh, sign, is it? I my mean, God. If... <laughs> I said with Raslin, look, I get why he said why he said it, but you can't sell a controlling stake of your team to a crypto bro. We all know at best it's a volatile market. And look, it's been reported that crypto data had already not paid their end of the bill for the Austrian Grand Prix that they sponsored earlier this year. The red flags were there. Dre, as soon as that came out in the past week or so that they hadn't paid the promoters for that race like oh shit yeah, yeah that's normally gonna... when that's normally when shit's the fan and look it's my i need to oh. stress first and foremost my sympathies go out to the employees of that team because oh, like yeah. you know they haven't been being paid yeah because and... we know certain individuals i mean you you have news from reputable sources on this that if certain people aren't getting paid, it definitely means other people aren't getting paid. Yeah, because, I, won't, I, won't, I won't name you know. names, but one of the riders' communications chiefs is going to World Superbikes this year, and if they're not getting paid, then I, I, it would be—I think it would be safe to assume that other people of that team ha- are, are not being paid either, and that's awful. And, and 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 that financial uncertainty and limbo status is horrible and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. Um so I mean, there's rumors that I mean for for sir for instance like some of their provisions in the paddock that they are hundreds of thousands of euros behind Again, on the payments. I've, I've I've got it on pretty good I've got it on pretty good sources that they are seven figures in the can. Mm-hmm. Um, that's disastrous and and i mean i hate to i hate to think that razlan had no choice when patronus took their ball and went home um but 
money's money. It was, it was only it was only gonna ever end one way. Yeah, and it's, it's it's a damn shame. I mean, it's again. I hope this team is salvaged and saved. I mean, I, I'd like to think it will be. Yeah, um, I mean, MotoGP. Dora said themselves they're actively looking for a new Aprilia independent racing team. Yeah, well, <laughs> we well, might know just who it is. I mean, quite, put it what it is. Like, it, it was Dawn of forcing him into a sale because it's like, okay, we're going to take your grid slots away because you've not paid us. So you, we're going to take your grid slots away. So you're going to have a racing team with nowhere to race. <sighs> Bang. Yeah, it forces their hand because otherwise they're just going to keep doing what they're doing, keep not paying who they need to pay. And... I mean, the question now, given the clear the air talks earlier this morning and the fighting words the day before, track house, Trail Earnhardt Incorporated enters MotoGP. I can't. This was not the uh, the NASCAR entity I would have ever expected to get back in a motorcycle race. I guess Michael Jordan was just like, eh, I did it once. I don't want to do this again. <laughs> sure, the best thing that came out of Jordan Motorsport was the shoes, not the racing. No, no kidding. No, those Jordan Force still wanting them one day. No, I was mm. going to say like it's. Uh, it, I was going to say if it was going to be anyone on NASCAR's radar, and look, trust me, I found this out first about Wednesday night last week, and I spat my drink out because I couldn't believe. Like I was like, really? That track house? Like Ross Chastain, Melon Man, Daniel Suarez, track house? Project Shane 91? Van Gisbergen track house? Was, yeah, we're putting Shane like, Van Gisbergen on the Aprilia. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, okay, so it's going to be like that then. And look, Justin Marks gets it. Uh, I've said that about him for a long time. He's one of the few people in NASCAR, in my opinion, that understands, you know, he the potential of his brand and the fact that he could get some European crossover appeal. And I love that about him. I love the fact he's an outside the box thinker in a series that is very, very USA, North America centric focused. Um, And I I love the fact that he looked at the situation and was like, Hmm, I could do something with this. Um, and I, I love that. I think it's fantastic. I would love to see Trackhouse take 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 this team over and put the Trackhouse branding on a MotoGP team. It would be cool as shit. <laughs> Imagine a watermelon livery to Prelia. That would just Tremendous. be so much fun. And look. Uh, the- the, I guess the problem here is that we just don't know. Mm. what the timetable is on this because as of today i have no idea if this is going to settle out of court or whether rnf is going to fight this to the death and that's the kicker in all of this if they do fight it in the courts it could be months because court cases are never quick um that's the one thing you can guarantee about dealing with things in courts they're never they're, they're never swift in any in any in any of the way they handle this um you know, most trials take weeks many of them take months sometimes years i don't think it will come to that i think if, if today's news was anything to go by about crypto data potentially trying to smooth things over that says to me they're probably gonna have to deal with the reality of this situation and probably force a sale and preferably quickly i reckon and if justin marks is serious about this which by all accounts it seems like he is he had he had boots on the ground in valencia over this weekend Um, supposedly he's serious enough to foot the bill for two current spec rsgps that's seven figures 
I can tell you mm. that right here and now. Like that's that's serious. Like they, they, the, the rumors I've I've been told and what's been reported is is that they are prepared to pump millions into this team immediately. They are basically telling a pretty because they haven't got a base of operations in Europe track house. So that's gonna that's gonna tell the Noel team who run Aprilia, go upgrade your facilities and we'll fit the bill, basically. Um and expand up and then we'll even pay for twenty twenty four machinery. Which is serious investment. We're talking, like I said, heavy seven figures. <coughs> yeah, I mean Trackhouse I mean I mean when Trackhouse entered NASCAR, I mean I, I suppose when they absorbed the variety of teams into themselves to become Trackhouse. Yeah. Um, again, the remains of Dale Earnhardt Incorporated are in there somewhere. Mm. Um, so in a sense, we're going to be doing it for Dale on two wheels. Yeah, love that. But Trackhouse built their NASCAR team the right way. Yeah. Brought in the right people, some legends of the sport uh, in recent time mm-hmm. um, to get the right equipment. They went out and hired two very high quality drivers. And as far as the kind of quality for their, I guess you could call them wild card car <laughs> in, in a NASCAR MotoGP sense. Project um, 91. Kimi Raikkonen, Shane Van Gisbergen, yep. and so on. Yeah, yep. pretty, pretty exciting. good. Um, Trackhouse does not do things via half measures, and they absolutely have the money and the resources and the sponsorship to back that up. Absolutely. Um, it's just that. The concern is if that this does go to court and crypto data does try to fight this, that leaves this team in limbo and that leaves the staff in limbo. And if the staff are in a position where they're basically just sitting around, teams will poach them. This is a good team um, and people got to eat. Mm hmm. It's it's a good team. People will inevitably move because I mean, how many people can can live without one or two paychecks? Less than you think is, is, is what I often tell. None people. of us in this call can. No, like you know, so it's 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 inevitable that the longer this goes on, money needs to go somewhere. Otherwise, people will start walking and bolting. It's a it's a big enough panic where there'll always be gigs elsewhere. Um, and yeah, they've got to be very careful um, on that one. I hope Crypto Day doesn't fight this because, like, and, and on to, to play off Cam for the upside of this, MotoGP could do with a bit more clout in America again. It wasn't that long ago that MotoGP had three races in the States. It had Laguna Seca and Indianapolis at the Brickyard, as well as Kota, which has become a great race, a great staple round for, for them. But having it's just three- the one. Yeah, having more American clout will never hurt. Um, and, you know, America has got a huge bike racing culture. It's got a huge biking culture in general. An American-owned team that people will recognize from its biggest sport, which is NASCAR in terms of auto racing, yeah. like that's a huge net win for Dorna, well, no matter which way you slice it. And let's not forget, and I'm sure you guys have backed me up on this, MotoGP doesn't have a lot of TV footing in the United States anymore. It really they, doesn't. They basically have none. I mean, I have my video pass, whether it was intentionally paid for or not. Um, <laughs> Good poor man. Yeah, I'm so sorry, expen- buddy. Expensive as hell. Mm. Um, but <clears throat> if you want to watch most MotoGP races in the States, you're watching them on tape delay on NBC. Yeah. 
and oftentimes not on a primary NBC channel. And the couple that are on live, I mean, oftentimes they're not very good time zone for American Mm. viewers, or they're clashing with something else that is probably going to get more footing, something like NASCAR, something like, God forbid, IndyCar. The rare occasion where IndyCar will ever outdo something in TV ratings. (laughs) <laughs> um or i mean now you've got multiple formula one grand prix to try and compete with yeah like like i, I it, it would be a foothold to negotiate something more in the u.s because the americans would actually have a team to get behind and that and a, a recognizable one too and something um, is better than nothing because we're not eating much right now as far as american presence yeah. and i mean we've talked about it at length privately where the production-based pipeline to MotoGP for riders, and specifically Moto America, might dead. as well not exist anymore. It's dead. It's in, it's been dead for years. Let's be real here. Since it's been gone col- for over a decade. Since the collapse of AMA, it's it's never been the same. Like Ben Spees was really the last of his kind, and that was because he spent most of his career in Europe. And this was at a time when World Superbikes had enough clout where riders could still move over into MotoGP, like Ben Spees, like James Toesland, um, you know, like 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 Colin Edwards and Troy Bayliss, etc. Um, you know that that time sadly has come and gone. Like Top Rack was really the the last potential shot of a world superbike rider and even it, having and half Yamaha a chance. Never, Yamaha never really entertained it much more than a basic test with a basic setup and the bare minimum. If we're what, calling from, a spade a yeah. spade. From what Damn I was told... Oh, yeah. Here it goes. Yeah, from what I was told, let's just say Toprak wasn't given the best chance of succeeding. That said, no. it was more like a, thanks for winning us a World Superbike title, buddy. Uh, here, here's, a, here's a test as a thank you. Um, and that was about it. You know, it never yeah. really materialized. And now he's going to run for BMW next year. Good luck to him. You know what's <laughs> crazy? Out of all this, if nothing else, crypto... <laughs> Let me start that over again. I'm about to say, if nothing else out of all this, Pitbull can perform at Coda at the Grand Prix. Trackhouse rocking at the house tonight. Man, that's LMFAO. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, but Trey, uh, tell us about the new concession system for 2024. Okay. Now, this again came out on Monday after the Valencia Grand Prix ended. This has been a lot of talk about the potential con- concession system changing with the midst of, of uh, Japan's biking struggles in recent years. Um, there was a lot of negotiations and back and forth between the sports manufacturers. Eventually, they sat down and thrashed out an agreement, and this is what they've kept, have come up with. And this is going to take a little bit of explaining because this is a audio medium not a visual medium but i will try my very best over the next three minutes or so so bear with me but here goes so now how this is going to work is is that the concessions are now split into four tiers and the tiers and the tier that you are in is now dependent upon your percentage of the maximum points you scored as a manufacturer in the previous year's championship with me so far <laughs> hopefully that yep. works out well, that seems straightforward enough okay, you know so, scale it by points so i'll give you an example right the maximum amount of points you could have scored in this championship this season in 2023 was 728 not 740 we didn't get a sprint in australia let's not forget so 728 was the maximum score you could have gotten just a reminder Ducati got 700 
as a manufacturer out of 728. Um, that's 96% of all the points they could have scored. Um, yeah, fun fact. Remember, manufacturer standings, only the highest performing bike counts. When you've got eight bullets in the chamber, you're not going to have a bad day very often. So the way that the tiers are divvied up is dependent on your maximum. If you get 85% of the maximum or more, you're put in tier A. If you're if your if your placing was between sixty and eighty five percent, you're in tier B. If you score between thirty five and sixty percent, you're in tier C. And if you score less than thirty five percent of the maximum, you're in tier D. Now that tier that tier placement will then affect what you're entitled to in terms of testing and development over the course of this of the next year. So. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try and put it in layman's terms as possible. For example, tier A, you only get 170 sets of testing tires as a manufacturer for the year. That goes up to 260 in tier D. Um, so again, more tires if you're ranking worse. Um, if you're in tiers A, B, and C, you can only use test riders um during your test if you're in tier d you get to use your grand prix riders if you so choose um like a prettier did um last year they were able to use their grand prix riders when they were still on the concession system last year the old system so they were able to use a spargo and vinyardas in indonesia the other teams could only use their test riders uh, there's, there's, there's an example of that difference um Grand Prix circuit testing, if you're in tiers A, B, and C, you can only test at any three of the Grand Prix tracks on the calendar. If you're in tier D, you can race on any Grand Prix circuit on the calendar. So again, you can just pick whatever you want, wherever you want to test, you can test as long as it's on the calendar. Um, the amount of wild cards will now change depending on what tier you're in. If you're in tier A, you don't get any wild cards. Oh, Alvaro Bautista won't get another chance to come back this time 100% healthy, unless he changes manufacturers. Afraid not. Avara Bautista, Michele Piro's days are sadly numbered in MotoGP dirt, uh, wildcard weekends because Ducati will not have any, at least for the next year, because they have no wildcards. If you're in Tier B, you're allowed three wildcard appearances over the course of the season. And if you're in Tier C or D, you're allowed six. Um, in terms of engines you can use over the course of season, if you're in Tiers A, B, or C, you, you, you're allowed to use either seven or eight engines for the year, depending on your team and rider choice. If you're in Tier D, that goes up to nine or ten. Um, and in terms of aero updates, most teams are only allowed one for the season, and that will apply if you're in Tiers A, B, or C. If you're in Tier D, you are allowed two. There is an asterisk on this. Um, you have to throw out your old component if you take that second aero upgrade. Um, so if you choose to take the second aero upgrade, you have to get rid of the old one that you had before. You can't use it again, basically. Mm. So that's the situation. So in other words, if you're in tier D, you get 50% more tires than Ducati does. You get to test anywhere on the calendar with any of your riders. You get double the wild cards of a tier B team and and you get wild cards in general when tier A teams cannot. You get two extra engines and an extra aero upgrade. That's the easiest way I can explain it. If you want to see the concession table in full, it's on the website, motorsport101.com. Check out the race review section on Valencia. If you want to see the full table, if you're the sort of person that prefers to see it visually, you can do so over there. And also for reference sake, 
just if you if you're curious as to where the current teams sit on this table, Ducati are in tier A. Surprise, surprise. Um, nobody is in tier B. Uh, KTM and Aprilia are in tier C, and Yamaha and Honda are in tier D. So, with all that soaking in, what do we make about the? What do we make of these regulation changes in total? Well, Don't all rush in at once. <laughs> um. Well, the thing is, under the old concession system, Alex Rins's win earlier this year, coupled to Fabio Quadraro, uh still burning the midnight oil on the Yamaha, were basically going to keep them out of concessions until further notice. This speeds up that timeline for them. I mean, ultimately, everyone had to be reasonably happy with it because everyone had to agree to it. Um, we've talked about it at length on this show. You can't make any changes to the technical regulations unless everyone is unanimous. Mm-hmm. So, I think it makes sense given the power structure of the sport currently. Yes. Um, because Ducati gets penalized, but not catastrophically so. Um, I mean, the one, the wild card they had this year, none of them particularly went well for one reason or another. Get well soon, Alvaro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the teams further down that need the testing time get more tires to throw at the problem. A lot of this feels like it was trying to throw a bone to Japan because the real benefits, the cascading benefit here is when you hit tier D. And, um, Massively. Well, Honda probably belongs in a tier below D. <laughs> given their got- performance this year uh f tier the pay respects tier yeah Dorna out here really trying to think of themselves as general MacArthur in the 1950s <laughs> um yeah um we heard during testing that paolo Giabatti was in the commentary box talking about the new system and said he was happy with it said they want to beat the other factories at their best and remember concessions were a big part in helping Ducati catch up eight or nine years yeah, ago. yeah that's right remember that's- the dookie era Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, the, the the fact there's been dashi days of the thirteen and fourteen bikes. Remember them? <laughs> yeah, you mean the cla- the claiming rule team bikes? Ooh, ooh, basically ooh, applied ooh. as a privateer to get more concessions. Yeah, um, I, 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 I'll yeah, tell you how I this feel. had to happen. Yeah. I'll tell you how I feel about it. This was obviously throwing a massive bone in Japan's direction. Japan was way under 35% of the points needed for for tier D. We know that that is the element of, or the element of this sports power structure that is struggling right now. And they're struggling massively. This is a big boost to them uh, in, in trying to figure out what their problems are and trying to close that gap. 50% more tires in Ducati is big. They can test anywhere where they can use their Grand Prix riders um, and they get double the wild cards and extra engine. These are all things that are going to help them in terms of flexibility and development planes. This this is big. And look, I'm glad Ducati were fairly reasonable in the way they negotiated this in the end. It doesn't, I don't think it hurts them too bad. And that's my overall emphasis as, as to how I feel about this concession change. It's not about bringing Ducati down. It's about bringing everybody else up. And that's 
I'm glad that they've done it that way rather than potentially pissing off the team that's the teams that run this sport by saying because I remember at one point KTM and Imprinia were saying kick them out of testing and I'm just like that's ridiculous uh, that was never going to happen um and they would say that given they're they would be the ones in the pound seat to benefit um because they're the teams like europe are the ones who are competitive right now the japanese are not um and yeah uh as someone correctly put in the chat the japanese opened they helped ducati along a decade ago in having the rules opened up for them so they could compete then as much as as much as racing is about being a bastards to your competition, uh, and that's never going to change. Sometimes mm-hmm. you need to throw them a bone. Um, uh, as, and... I've always, as I've always said, motorsport is conducted in the realms of good faith. It has to be for it to function properly. If it doesn't, that's when the problem starts. Most of the I don't time. know if I don't know if I agree with that entirely, but. <laughs> um, it's like, I think, and, and I think it, it's the it's the easiest way for everybody to coexist is what I should probably have worded yeah, that. People as. need to coexist. I think is a better way to put it. And this helps everyone coexist. And much in the same vein as how Formula One has structured their aero testing kind of sliding scale. I think you hit the nail right on the head. This is more about helping those who are behind have more ability to fix their problems. Um, but also at the same time, you're getting the concessions. You need to know how to use them. Um, it's not a blank check, and it's not an, a get-out-of-jail-free card if you don't know what your problems are. But at least it certainly gives Japan the resources to narrow that margin of error a little bit. <laughs> which, is what the, which, for me, is what it should be about. It should be about... Look, I think that's race- all you can ask a, uh, a set of technical regulations to do. Right, and look, Let's be real here. Bike racing would be dead 10, 12 years ago if it wasn't for the contributions and the faith that Japan still put into bike racing when the sport was on its knees. I remember those 2011 days when we only had a 16 bike grid. Um, you know, I remember those days, and it was Japan that propped up bike racing because Honda could have quit off the back of the financial crisis, and I think people would have understood. So Ichiro uh, Honda visited from heaven to say, don't you do it! <laughs> yeah, they'd already quit F1, which is now apparently the subject of a really fun documentary on Disney+. Plus. Um, and... It was a very close call in that Honda boardroom that determined whether they were going to quit MotoGP or not after 2008. Like, it's, it, I'm glad that everybody came to an agreement, beat their heads together, and figured out a way to save the sport, which, let's not forget, worked. It did work. It, 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 yeah, I mean, we got I mean, in the chat, right? back up. I mean, there were three manufacturers left when Suzuki left at the end of 11. One of them was European. It was Ducati. Yeah, and they proceeded to sign Valentino Rossi and were in the dumps. Yeah, that was not a good first impression of a great multi-time championship rider on the Ducati. And I think this might segue <laughs> us a nice way Beautifully. to a much happier first time on a Ducati. Yes, because um, obviously 2024 starts early with MotoGP because you can bring your 2024 bikes to testing and open up the can on next year's bikes. But that wasn't the story of the test. The story was explicitly this year's Ducati. 
with someone new riding it. Yes, uh, we got the moment that I think a lot of people have been waiting for. I'm uh, free! <laughs> I'm free! Like, honestly, and this, this is just me, as, uh, again, look, I'm, I'm lucky to call a fair few journos in that paddock now, my friends from Autosport <laughs> and the race and from whatever. I have never seen such a buzz for a testing session ever in MotoGP. For, there the, were people, for a minnow. For yeah, Grazzini. For Grazzini. Like, there were photographers and journalists lining up outside the garage in preparation for Mark Marquez's first run on a Ducati. I've never seen anything like it. Valentino Rossi didn't get this kind of hype when he came back to Yamaha in 2013. Like, like, it, it was crazy. <laughs> Fausto upstairs looking, look at my team! We're the talk of the town! Look at this shit! This is amazing! Uh, <laughs> but if that didn't get enough attention, the next seven laps did. Mm. Like, How long did it take, to, Dre? Seven laps. We, we, had to, we had to wait about 20 minutes into that session before we finally got Mark Marquez on the bike. Twitter was going ape shit when I was watching along with social media as he finally went out for his first run. And then you can see the lap times come down. He's building up, he's building up. And by the end of that first six-lap run, he does a one a 130.6 which is which is competitive which is a very solid race pace competitive lap. with the fastest lap that he did on the honda before he was wiped out by martin we knew straight away oh no he's dialed in straight away this is a problem um <laughs> and then came more laps and he went a little faster and a little faster mm -hmm. and then he went fastest yeah the, the, uh, at one point, he did a 29-4, which would have put him 11th on the grid for the Grand Prix on Sunday on a track that was definitely slower than what it was during the Grand Prix weekend. With a mistake cold. on the lap, he blew the yeah, final corner. He did. And look, nothing sums it up best than when Marquez came back from the end of that first run, takes his helmet off, looks at Cruci Franky Kacheki with the, the biggest, biggest shitty grin. grin. It's like, yes. This is good. I'm just like... Did oh. I mention that through this entire test and through the entire back half of the season that Mark Marquez had compartment syndrome? He had arm pump? Yeah. Yeah. Which meant he was doing this with yeah, he arm surgery. pump? He had surgery today as of recording, and uh, arm could... pump is an intermittent thing, so, mm -hmm. I mean, it will have been affecting him at some times, effect not affecting him at others. But, I mean, he had surgery for it today uh, mm -hmm. as of time of recording. Um. And you can see it. I mean, you could see he's not perfect on the bike. I do think they have to work on his position on the bike a little bit. He was sliding around a bit on the pegs. Mm -hmm. um, but it's almost like initially he didn't quite know how to react to having rear grip on the motorcycle. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to accelerate earlier now? Oh, my God. <laughs> because when he started, you know, really pushing the back of the Ducati, which, of course, is its strength is not only having all that glorious Italian horsepower, but getting it to the ground. I mean... Not perfect, but a duck in water around parts of the track. I mean, Enea's already saying he was the fastest Ducati rider through turn eight. Yeah. The general consensus from the rest of the Ducati camp is that we all kind of knew he was going to be quick. Banyaya actually predicted he'd leave the test fastest. 
didn't quite happen. I think he was fourth in the end um, by the time it was all said and Correct. done. But still only a tenth off the fastest Ducati out there, which was Marco Bezzecchi during the test. Which, look, the statement was already made. The man's competitive immediately on that bike, which is a terrifying see, sign. <laughs> he has only ridden a Honda. Ever. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way back to his tests at the, the same test, functionally, at the end of 2012. Um, 11 years of that. <laughs> 11 years of that bike through its times of utter crushing domination and times of being the worst bike on the grid and everything in between. Um, to be this competitive early on, first of all, is a testament to the crew of Grazzini, because Frankie is a savant at this whole mm-hmm. crew chief thing. He, but, he he unlocked the potential of Fabio Digiotelio to the point where it saved his career. Can't give him much higher praise than that, honestly. Mm, mm. But I mean more than any time, more than any body language on the bike, taking the helmet off and just having full front teeth showing like Brian <laughs> in that one episode of Family Guy, oh, yeah. shit-eating grin um, as he got off the bike. And again, just by the middle of the day, he was doing his typical thing of tie- tying the bike into knots, getting it around corners. And he isn't allowed to say anything about the bike. Um. Yeah, legally, he's still under under contract contract till till December thirty first. He can't comment on anything with the Ducati until then. Well, everyone else around him is going to do it for him because uh, Grassini were glowing after the test. (laughs) They're like, they're like, uh, we 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 couldn't imagine. I think some like a lot of us we couldn't we couldn't imagine this feeling um, to close out the year and like like they've got the Marquez brothers. They've got ten world championships between them in that team and next year and he's only going to get better from here because this is on the gp23 it was a basic spec gp23 that he was on basically it was zarko's bike mm-hmm. until the morning of um and he didn't have the uh fork wings he didn't have a couple of the more trick pieces on it but it was the base gp23 but this bike is sorted and this bike you know even to start off this year a more refined machine than the 22 they were working with Mm. and a bike that he's not going to be doing any development on. It's just go out there and ride it. Yeah. Um, he's only going to get better from here. <laughs> um, I will also shout out, and I was going to bring this up, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Mark Marquez goes P1 on the timing sheet. Instant cut to Alberto Puig in the <laughs> Honda garage. <laughs> looking tremendous. like Looking like he just walked in on someone sleeping with his wife. <laughs> it's like walking into it's it's like walking into one of Gerard PK's parties. Um and, and he basically looks at you and says, All right, bitch, go make me a sandwich. Um now because <laughs> daddy's home. That that that's that was all time TV direction. Whoever did that, exponential raise on their Bravo. contract. Bravo. Um but I mean He's only going to get better from here. He was already pretty good. And the other thing to look at is that the Ducati is just a less physically demanding bike. And going into next year, hopefully that means less crashes. I can only hope, (laughs) given uh, the 2024 Honda already tried to throw Johan Zarco at the sun. (laughs) And 
hopefully we see Mark at his fittest, at his best for longer. Um, and he can use the spike. It's a good one. It's a good one. Like you said, he's only going to get better. They're going to bring a whole heap more at Sepang, you would think, with the fact it's a four-day test in Sepang. And, and um, yeah, like they'll only, they'll only figure out more from here and refine what they've already got. Look, he's walked on the base version of the GP23 and was immediately competitive. That's all I needed to see. He's going to be an immediate top contender for next year. Maybe even favorite. <laughs> he, he, on a, poor, a relatively poor lap, he was one mistake away from being the fastest Ducati rider at the test. Yeah. He, he lost, he lost the tempo on the final corner. And <laughs> that means something at Valencia. Generally, testing here means something. Yeah. It's, it's not like Formula One, where Formula One is a bit more speculative because you don't know about things like fuel loads and setups of the car. They're a bit more, it's a bit more speculative. MotoGP tends to fly a lot closer to reality um, when it comes to their testing. So if, if you're seeing Marquez up there, that is, that is valid. That is legitimate. Probably even more so given, as, as, as you pointed out, Cam, that he's, he spent 11 years on a Honda. He's, on, he's been on a Ducati and day one, he's fast. Um, that is a ominous I, I mean, sign. I mean, the two things to add to that is one, it's one of it's one of the most devastatingly effective racing machines we've seen in the last decade, maybe mm. longer. But also, it's Mark Marquez, um, who he's been gone for a little bit, but we know what he can do on a bike. Were people apprehensive about him getting on a Ducati because they think all these injuries have robbed him yes. of his greatness, or do uh, they just think fans he's a, were? Do they just think that he's a Honda merchant, which is an insane thing to think? He's a merchant. He's a product <laughs> of a garbage bike. Well, the the notion has been that he developed the Honda into this one. That was Paul Espargaro. No, yeah. Um, first and foremost, Paul Spargro is most directly responsible for this current Honda. But a lot of fans wanted this to be the gotcha moment. It was not. No. And I mean, Emmett and Oxley and everyone else you could ask who's actually been in the paddock all year is basically known like everyone was awaiting slash dreading this moment knowing what was going to happen when he threw the leg over and that's exactly what happened because at the end of the day he's still an eight-time world champion the people that know know i think i think as cam quite rightly pointed out we are only discussing mark marquez in the realm of the greatest that have ever taken part in this sport now already at this point and the one big kicker in the Valentino Rossi debate is being able to do it on a second manufacturer. That's the only card he's got left in this in this arsenal. And the fact that he's gone over there and lo looks like he's competitive immediately is should should be should be have people shitting themselves. The people in the paddock that knew of Mar uh, know of Mark Marquez's talent and understand bike racing all knew this was going to happen. And I always believed it was going to happen. Mark Marquez basically retaught the sport how to ride a bike. I've said this from day one. His style of riding is now the adopted riding style of most up-and-comers and young riders that are coming through these I days. I mean, Trey, if a decade sample size of him being an unstoppable wrecking machine wasn't enough, 
My man won six MotoGP top flight titles in seven years. What more evidence do you need? As like, the bike was getting worse. As the bike was getting physically and we know, worse. And the Honda had problems, well-documented problems from 2015 onwards. And they recovered it a That's little insane. bit a couple of years later, only to make it, they took it from a bike with one overarching strength to no strengths um, in trying to make it a more rideable machine for everyone. And mm. to be fair, Honda probably had a better test than they were going to expect. They had a great test by by by, by comparison. They were they were competitive. Mir was delighted with the 2024 bike. Luca Marini looked fast immediately. Like I think Honda had probably just had their best day of 2023 after the season finished. <laughs> after losing their mercurial superstar. Because at the same time, we saw this two years ago. Mm. Or a year and a half ago, really, because it was start of 22. They put the 22 bike, the major redesign, on the test track, on a heavily rubbered-in test track, mm. and everyone loved it. And then as soon as they went to a normal race venue, they got their proverbial doors blown off. Yeah, it's... So I'd wait until the Sepang test to see whether the 24 Honda is a genuine step forward. Yeah, I, ho I hope it is. I don't want to see Honda struggle. Yaman Mir deserves a good bike. I've said this for some time. I'd like to see him do well on it. I hope Honda have taken a genuine step in the right direction. The test, it was, was like, that was probably, they were probably the other big winners of this Valencia test was that Honda actually looked like they had a half-decent package for their 24 They put a wang on it. They put a wang on it. Everyone's oh. got a wang on it. Yeah, because oh. Yamaha put about a dozen wings on their bike, and uh, it's smooth. But is it fast? It's smooth. It's, it, it looked like they put a fucking letterbox on the back of that thing. It was really goddamn weird. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a Plymouth Superbird wing on the back of the uh, Yamaha now. <laughs> um, and they're running giant front winglets, and they're running ground effects, and they're running mid wings, the side pod wings that uh, uh, Ducati run. And yet, I mean, did... Did either Yamaha rider set an even remotely competitive time? Not really. Well, Quadraro was 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 strong at the start, but faded towards the end. But like it was, it like like these wings are getting crazy. I'm not going to get into too much detail on it, but yeah, there was a letterbox on the back of the Yamaha. That was you could you could put your fist through the back of a KTM rear wing. The funniest part of that was what was watching the onboards. Of, of a Yamaha and seeing the fact that the ring had actually now gotten in the way of the on-board camera. That was, the, camera. Honda. It was, it was the, the Honda that does yes. that now, yes. Because uh, they have a wing <laughs> with, like, actual cord and wing angle and end plates on the back. Like a proper, almost, like, shrunk-down Gran Turismo 4 wing. Can you mm. put a wing on this? <laughs> yes, actually. Yes, actually. Um, and, yeah, blocks the, <laughs> it blocks the TV feed camera. <laughs> um... And uh, oh, also the 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 dazzle camo on the KTM hiding their very trick arrow fairing, mm. um, very different, very aggressive. We'll see how that gets on. And Aprilia also had their um, was it Aprilia or KTM who had the carbon fiber chassis here? Aprilia did. Oh yeah, Aprilia has their own now. And can I just say, the carbon fiber weave on that chassis is gorgeous. It's, it's a very sexy thing. It is. Yeah. But also, we have carbon fiber frames now on a motorcycle. And not like I mean, the carbon fiber steering head mounted to the engine, like what Ducati used to have. Like, a twin spar frame made of carbon. 
full full blown carbon fiber chassis now. This sport is ridiculous. I hope it works this time. And mm. I just want to close this out on one other thing too. Sure. Mark Mark has a Honda shouldn't have ended like this. It really, really should not have. It should if Mark Marquez was going to walk away to another manufacturer, it should have been with his head held high, knowing that you know he could walk anywhere and prove that he could do it. And it's been a rough last four years. Cost it's him four years of his prime. It's not officially his last act because he's still going to Honda Racing. Thanks, Dave Mategi. That's this weekend. Doesn't that look is like the he's official be... goodbye. Yeah, I just it should. We'll also been. say. This also leaves him with no excuse going into 23. Because we know what the Ducati GP23 is. We know what it's capable of. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. It's going to be a fascinating eight-week wait for the Sepang test in February to see the next chapter of these 2024 bikes. And after that, we will be previewing that season as well. But that'll do it. For all of our MotoGP coverage, pretty much 2023, we've got one more to do in a couple of weeks' time. We'll be back for the MotoGP season review. Then we'll be going manufacturer by manufacturer and trying to make sense of a crazy 2023 season. Um, so thanks to everyone that's listening to our bike coverage all year long. Otherwise, much appreciated. We were taking a week off to rest up and recuperate before we start getting into the real heavy-duty season reviews of Formula 1, MotoGP, and then the Motorsport 101 Awards for 2023, our Christmas special. Um, we can't wait for some of that as well. It's going to be a fun time. So we'll be back in a week's time to discuss one more time Max Verstappen's unholy clobbering of Formula One in 2023. Um, an Omega level beaten down, to say the least. Uh, until then, uh, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Um, Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next on the next episode. Until then, sayonara. Later, y'all. Hope you enjoy your diecast, you motherfucker.